how many are familiar with Pete the Cat? I love my blue shoes. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he first starts off by singing, I love my white. I love my white shoes. And then it goes, oh, no. Pete stepped into a large pile of strawberries. Did Pete, uh, whatever, did Pete uh, cry? No, goodness, no. He just kept walking and singing this song. Bad shoes. And so it's this uh, way of looking at life that can seem a little uh, over the top, but sometimes it is what our souls need is to get out of the darkness and sometimes the negativity and the things that we see all around us. And uh, to begin with, what am I thankful for? What am I grateful for? What actually is going well in my life right now? Or what do I, what isn't going well? And yet, do I see something good in the midst of that? Uh, from a sort of biblical standpoint, as you read through the Bible, the different authors are coming to terms with this great mystery that Daniel really presents to us. And that is how Christ, how God is actually even in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances. And this is what I like about it. It isn't someone who is sitting in total comfort, sitting on a throne, getting to rule other people and telling them, cheer up, life is grand. It's in a, an oppressed people, a people without, a people who have been um, crushed by powers who are the ones who say, hey, in the midst of this, you can rejoice because something happening. Do you see it? And so this is the spirit of Daniel chapter two. How many of you have read Daniel chapter two this past week? Can I get a show of hands? All right. The majority of you, it looks like. Fantastic. Um, so I'm going to read through it again, and uh, we're going to uh, go through it fairly quickly. Um, so if you prefer listening than reading along, you can do that. Along, um, obviously, do so as well. We're going to start at verse one, Daniel chapter two, verse one. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Some of the magician, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. The astrologers answered the king, May the king forever tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to, to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me my dream, what it was and interpret it, I will have you cut to pieces and your house is turned into pile. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Certain you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing, an enchanter or astrologer. What king asks? 
What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it. This is the key verse here. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. They do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. So look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone, to, had gone out uh, to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with great wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh Arach explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to see from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed along with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings. He raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light is with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you, and you have made known to us the dream of the king. And Daniel went to Arioch and appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute any, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, replied no wise man, enchanter, magician or, or magician, or diviner can explain the mystery he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dreams, your dream, and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are the. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. The revealer of the mystery showed you what was going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and before you stood a large statue, enormous, dazzling, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of bay clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron the bronze and the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all, all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Where they live, he has made them. You are that head of gold. 
after you, another kingdom will rise in 30 years, a next a third kingdom, one of bronze will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron for as iron breaks and smashes everything and as iron breaks, so it will crush and break all others. Just as you saw that the feet and the toes are partly of baked clay and of, and of iron, so this will be the divided kingdom. Yet it will have some strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay, as the toes are partly, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In, and I'll finish here, it's been a long, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it, it itself will endure forever. This is the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold to pieces. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> Um, thanks for bearing with me on that one. Difficult to split it up or to uh, enter it or to interrupt it and uh, and go through it uh, verse or section by section. But here's um, here's the story that has been long told that those of us who've grown up. In, if you haven't, this might be the first time in which in some cases, if you've never heard it before, you have a slight advantage in some sense of that because you're, you maybe haven't been told interpretations uh, to that story, and you have to come to it and bring fresh perspective to it. So at the beginning, uh, this sort of request that the king makes, the king has a dream. The dream he wants interpreted, but he wants the dream to be actually told before what has happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, first of all, this is nothing unusual in the ancient Near East. In the, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar and his contemporaries, this was normal. Dreams were viewed as messages from the deities, the gods that live up in the sky. And they were supposed to be guidance, direction. And so the kings then would get astrologers, diviners, magicians, all these people <clears throat> that could maybe talk to the gods and interact with them. Okay, These were... De these were uh, people that had great power and influence because they were perceived to be able to communicate with these gods and then um, and, and also interpret, um, you know, what the messages from the gods were. So um, this is was this was expected was these guys always surrounded kings in the ancient world. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar had many times in the past, presumably had had dreams and had asked the astrologers, the diviners. Would you interpret this for me? And they had. The thing was, is that for some reason, Nebuchadnezzar has had it. Why? We don't know. And storytellers are masterful in this. This is not a historical. Please understand. Are you with me so far? This is not a historical account. It's not. It's a story. It's a story designed to have you enter into it. There are particular gaps in the story. Storytellers are trying to communicate a message. This is the way wisdom was passed on from generation to generation with through stories. The stories are not untrue factually, nor are they true factually. They're a mix. There's truth in there. There's factual truth. 
and then there's embellishments. And Jewish culture was fine with that. That was normal. It was part of the way of passing on a truth that transcends all time, all culture, everywhere, and that should stay. And so what Daniel is doing is, or what the author is doing is saying, uh, look, who knows why Nebuchadnezzar's angry? Who knows why he's had enough with the astrologers and the diviners? But if you put yourself in that situation, have you ever come to the point where all the things that you've depended on have finally disappointed you in such a deep way that you are angry and that you want to get rid of all of it? Has that ever happened to you? Places where you were raised a particular way, you were maybe raised in a, in a religion and it taught you certain things like if you're good and you do everything right, then you should have a blessed life and then something really tragic happened to you and your faith was shaken. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody and you did everything right as far as you could? You worked hard at trying, not perfect, but you worked hard at being a good partner. And then that person betrayed you in the deepest possible. And then you lost your faith in relationships and you may have tossed relationships aside, not believing in love any longer. Has that ever happened to you? There are things that we have depended on, you know, and I think of things in my own life that I have depended on and relied on that eventually surprised me because it didn't give me what I was seeking out of those things. And so Nebuchadnezzar may have had this experience where over and over again, he had relied on these astrologers that is troubling him. And now he can't believe in them any longer. And he's done with the entire thing and he wants to wipe it all out. And what does Daniel do? Does Daniel say, yeah, you're right. Let me be the hero in this situation. Wipe out and let man exalt me. <laughs> I'll do this for you. No, Daniel says, no, 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 no. Don't kill them. Give me some time. I'm going to go and pray and see if God will tell me. Give me the interpretation. And so Daniel, that he prays. And God gives him a vision, gives him an understanding of what this was. <laughs> And when Daniel comes back to the king, he says, okay, I'll get the interpretation for you. Here's what I want, to, I want you to notice, is that first of all, Nebuchadnezzar is, has been burned on something. He has had a system that has been long in place, a system of astrologers interpret things and give you with, this is the way it works because the gods are up in the sky, they do not interact with humans, this is the fundamental belief. Remember, I said the verse that you need to pay attention to is what the astrologers, magicians, and diviners said to the king, which is this. No human can do Only the gods, and they do not live among the humans. Whenever we get really deeply disappointed by something in our lives where it causes us to want to turn away from it, there is a belief that is attached to that system. It's a belief that is deep within us. If I am good, to my spouse, if I am good in this relationship, if I'm loving and self-sacrificing, then it should go well and it should be reciprocated. And when it doesn't get reciprocated and I am deeply disappointed in love, what's the fundamental belief underneath that I have believed about this? And that is that if I do, you should do for me. Or, you know, in some other cases, when it comes to religion, if I am good enough, then God should 
If I hold up my end of the bargain, then God should protect us. God should keep us from harm. God should keep this person from passing away. God should keep us, uh, you know, all things held together. If I believe, if I believe, and if I serve, and if I, whatever that belief is, there's a fundamental belief that's being challenged. And in this story, if you miss it, that is the fundamental belief here that's being challenged. And it is one that is being challenged throughout the entire Bible. Think about what does the name Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? This is the fundamental belief being challenged during the time of Jesus. What did the Jews believe at the time of Jesus? They believed that they were under oppression because God was angry with them and God had judged them. That's why they were under the thumb of Rome. And that they had to do enough good to finally be rescued by God. That if they were good enough, holy enough, perfect, would lift the judgment off of them. That's the fundamental belief. And thus, that's the system of religion that Jesus enters into. What's the one parable that challenges that entire system? Do any of you, can any of you guess? You have to be good enough. And then God will give you a, I'll give you a hint. God will throw you a party. The product, there you go, cat. I read your lips. I'm good at that. I can read lips. Um, the, that's right. That's why it's the most provocative parable. Because what it states is that that's, this is your belief. You believe based, and you've got a whole entire system on this, that by being holy enough, good enough, God will lift judgment off of your nation and set you free. And what, is ha what happens in the prodigal story at the end is that the younger brother who has been the exact opposite turns out to be the one who is blessed by God back home. And the older brother is angry, sullen, despises his younger brother and says, all these years I have slaved for you. You know why that troubles religious people? Because that's what's going on inside their heart. That's what they're feeling as they're going through the motions of this religious system. And still, they don't see God's blessing yet because God does not live among the humans. And folks, whenever you are deeply wounded, what it reveals to you is God is distant. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you have been deeply wounded, do you feel like God is right there with you? Most of the time, no. This sense of I'm abandoned. There's this emptiness. There's this, there's this distance between me and the divine. And folks, I'm not here to tell you, you shouldn't. Like, this is bad behavior. You should believe that God is. No, 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 not at all. Do is embrace that very statement. No human can. Only the gods can, but they don't live among us. I want you to say that with the anger that comes from deep within, because if you're truthful about what you then the awareness and the enlightenment and the revelation that comes from God, that God has always been there. That's when it can come. Because God is the one who raises those who are dead. God is the one who opens the blind. But if you do not recognize that you are blind or you say that you can see, that's what creates a problem. And that's what Jesus gets at in his day. And so we hold those two in great within our hands.
there's these moments where where is God in the midst of this? And then the truth or the, aware, the awareness has a chance to happen where you can find God right in the midst of all of that. What Daniel is getting at. Because when Daniel appears before the king, what does he say? Does he say, oh, <clears throat> no, 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 no. These guys, they had it all wrong. The gods live, the gods do live. In fact, singular lives among us. No, Daniel says, you know what? You're absolutely right. (laughs) No human can do this. The astrologers and diviners are correct, King. They were right. No human can. But there's a God that can. There's a God that can. And that God came to me. In the midst of our darkness, in the midst of all of our peril right now, God came and gave me this message to give to you. Now, let's jump to the message. Because some people believe that the message, that all of this up to this point is all just preliminary stuff to get to the real message, which is this this dream and interpretation of the dream. But no, that's not how Hebrew. Hebrew is sophisticated. As ancient as it is, it is brilliant. Hebrew is, I'm going to tell you something here that later on is going to expand in a new way and in a different way. It's all interconnected. Um, There's this whole thing. The context is part of the content. The structure is part of the material, the, the good stuff that I'm about to give you. It's all part of it. It all belongs. It's all interconnected. And so what we see in terms of these does not live among humans. And yet the truth that Daniel brings is, yes, you're right. God can't, no human can, but there's a God who can. And by the way, that God does live among us. That is the story of that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, dreams about. Right. So let's begin with what that is. First of all, there's the head of gold. Now. Some scholars, not many, but some scholars, and uh, and have have um, to be. Um, no, I shouldn't say not many. Many actually scholars have described this to be the head of gold was was Babylon, and then have tried to make like look at this as a literal wooden kind of like parallel to the the eventual being the final kingdom, and then Jesus being the rock that comes in and destroys all of the kingdoms. But there's a load loads of problems with that. First of all. Why start with Babylon? Because Assyria was there before, and that was the world power. That was greater than any other world power at the time. Dominated the entire world. And if we say, okay, but maybe it's because he's starting with Babylon, and that's where we begin. Okay, so we start with Babylon, but here's a problem. Babylon, then Greece, then the Medes, then the Persians. And so say, well, let's just mix the Medes and the Persians together and call them one kingdom. But they weren't one kingdom. They were the Medes and then they were the Persians. So if we're doing the math correctly, it's four. And that's what scholars agree on. It's just impossible to actually lay it out to where you have Rome as the final. Furthermore, if Rome is the final kingdom and there's a rock that comes to destroy all the kingdoms, well, it didn't happen because after Rome, there are plenty more kingdoms that have existed. So there hasn't been a rock to crush them all. Now, there is a point to what is being said in terms of the growth of Christianity. 
which I would agree 100%, absolutely. Christ came and did some amazing things that eventually caused a growth, a spiritual growth um, uh, that, uh, that will eventually undermine and continues to undermine powers, okay? It's not the wooden structure of this thing because that doesn't give us any, like, so what if it's Babylon? So what if it's Rome? So what if it's, so what? So what? What does it do for us spiritually and transformationally? Nothing. But what it does is for a message that is most likely being conveyed by Daniel in interpreting this dream. And that is what was, is, and also will be. That's the sort of structure. What was, is happening currently, and will also happen. And if you have the wisdom to see it, you can predict with good accuracy certain large shifts in the way, in the way things work. Not with precision of detail, but you can see where things are going to go. And, and so that's, that's, I think, what's going on. Here's the reason why, too, that that's true. Daniel's, dream, Daniel's interpretation of, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is not original. There are, there are many others prior to King Nebuchadnezzar in ancient writing, Herodotus. And if you look up Herodotus and you look up um, some of these other um, uh, ancient Greeks, they had similar dreams. A gold, silver, and bronze were a common parallel to speak about the degrading of kingdoms. And so this is used in ancient, the ancient Near East. That's nothing new here. And so, so far, that's nothing new. There's one thing that stands out different from any other ancient Near East understanding of how kingdoms work. Do you know what that is? It's the stone. There is no parallel to that. And so this is what we do, is where there is this, yes, okay, there's tr the truth to that. Kingdoms tend to degrade over time. That's true. Think about Israel, right? We talked about the kings. What happened with the kings? It starts off with David. Who's the top? Who's the best, greatest king of, of, of the Jewish nation? Una, inarguably, King David. Everybody agrees with that. And then after that, what happens? Solomon. Solomon is an oppressor. He's a tough dude. <laughs> he enslaved things. And then what happens after Solomon? Jeroboam and Rehoboam. The kingdom splits, northern and southern. You see that? Arms of silver splitting. Folks, this is... This is human nature. We don't know how to work well together. Splitting. This is what he's saying. The deeper wisdom. Pay attention to what happens when power ascends to a certain point. It starts out oftentimes really good with great intentions. And then what happens is it starts to degrade and becomes like what? A beast. And that's the reason why we have the language of beasts to represent kingdoms in the book of Daniel as well as Revelation. This always happens. And Daniel says it's gonna happen again. You can't stop it. You're the head of gold, but there will be something less. And after that, it will, and it will split. And after that, it's going to get less and less and less until it is brittle and it has some strength to it and a whole lot of weakness to it. But then there's something different been said anywhere at any time. And that is that there's a rock not by cut by human hands. Something that is not engineered or crafted or purified. See, gold is purified. Gold is engineered. 
is that the it is yes it's pure in its form it comes out you know it's gold but then it's purified and it's designed and all that so it's engineered a certain way and it has this purity of like it is not like humans it is up above humanity it is purer than that own represents humanity but it represents humanity at its most base level clay material imperfect that state that God says, I'm choosing one, a human named Jesus, the Christ, who will be the proto-human, the, 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 the best type of human for all of us, that we ourselves become more like him. And as we become more like him, what we are saying is that, no, we're not going to choose the path of power over other people. We're not going to choose the path of meeting our own ego's needs to make ourselves feel at the cost of another person. We're choosing a different path. And we're believing that it is in that way of being that God shows up. God does not show up when I, in you know, uh, when I have ascended to certain levels of power. You know, in the ancient world, it was the the you know, if you were a king, you were a demigod. You know, it, you were a priest. You were obviously connecting with the gods. If you were astrologer, you were also connected somehow with spirits and divine beings, and that's where you connected with God. And God is saying, no, no, no. I live among broken, very broken very normal human beings. It is the blind that I like to come to and open the eyes. It is the dead people that I like to come to and wake up and rise, raise them up. Those are the people I come to. And that, my friends, is how I'm going to overthrow all of darkness and evil that runs in this. It's going to be precisely through you. This is why Daniel says, I'm, I'm, I'm no special person. He shows up to Nebuchadnezzar. He, I'm, no, I'm not, a, not a magician. I'm not any of these things. The only reason why God has shown me this is for your sake. It's out of, it is out of grace. It is out of love. Daniel's aware of his weakness, of his foibles, of his humanity. He's one that has seen the grace and the glory of God precisely in the midst of all of his own humanity. And so, when we are being let down by systems, by structures, by relationships, by things that we believed, and our beliefs are being challenged, which they always are, my friends, they are always being challenged. It's because deep inside of all of us that we're not always sure that God is right here with us. That in those places of pain and disillusion, we feel like, where is God? I don't see and I don't experience God. Wants to encourage us, his people. And of course, we are being encouraged as a result. That the opposite becomes true. That I don't have to ascend to some greatness I don't have to be anything. I don't have to work so hard to be uh, acceptable to God, to, to have God's blessing. Is that when I recognize that, yes, I am in a place of believing that God does not live among us. 
God shows up. I can be open and honest and truthful about that. And I can ask, God, would you come? And I love what Daniel does. Like he and his friends, let's pray. Let's pray. And let's wait on God and let's. And then God shows up. And then transformation takes place through us. It is always to first and then through us. That rock that comes out of that mountain, it is to us and then through us. It is us in all of our glory, in all, in all of our beauty, in all of our ugliness that God shows up. And I love that part about Daniel. There is a God, but a God. There's a God who can. And so my friends, wherever you are, whether you are in that place of saying, yeah, I've been, I've been surprised, or I feel distant from God. Is there something I have to do to change, to become better? Do I have to work really hard like the Jewish, the Jewish, uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of, of the day to work so hard to gain the favor of God? And the answer is what the father says, oh, my dear son, everything I have is already yours. If you could just see it, can you see it? And then can you come in that I've already thrown? 